Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Lee Hartman, and he'll be answering your questions on the Delaware River. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Lee a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. You'll see a form in the right column of our website. Just fill in your name and email address there, and we'll keep you informed. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website within about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites, such as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Beatspot, Player FM, uh, Google Podcasts, or any of the other platforms that you might be using. If you have to leave early, you can always come back, listen to the broadcast at any time on our website or through any of the podcast distribution platforms. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast. And when you do, use the hashtag AskAboutFlyFishing. In fact, if you have a moment to do it, do it right now. There's a couple of links on our homepage. It makes it easy for you. Just go ahead, click one of those links, and share what's going on right now. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted. It's the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc., doing businesses, Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Lee Hartman about the Delaware River story. Douglas Outdoors is a manufacturer of premium quality fly rods, raising the expectations that anglers should expect in componentry, design, engineering, craftsmanship, and in turn performance. Led by head rod designer Fred Cantui, Douglas has achieved award-winning rods featuring eye-opening strength to weight ratios and dialed-in technique-specific actions and tapers that cater to a host of different species. Douglas Outdoors has a true deep lineup of rods ranging from 12 weights for monster tarpon to two weights for tiny brook trout and everything in between. Check them out at douglasoutdoors.com. Again, that's douglasoutdoors.com. Before we introduce Lee, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Time Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage, which is at askaboutflyfishing.com, and look for the link under Lee's section that says, Click Here to Register for our Drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy of Lee's latest book, The Delaware River Story, courtesy of Stackpole Books. To find out more about what Stackpole has to offer, you can go to stackpolebooks.com and, and look at all the different books that they have uh, published. And so here's how you can win uh, Lee's book. Uh, you must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. And the question or questions will be about something that Lee and I talk about during the show. So just submit your answer along with your name and location in the text box on our homepage. Listen closely. Take some notes. Use your best typing skills at the end. You want to be first, and maybe you'll win Lee's book, The Delaware River Story. Our guest tonight is Lee Hartman. Lee lives along the upper Delaware River in Equinook, Pennsylvania, 
is a 45-year-old veteran on the Delaware system and former owner of Indian Springs Fly Fishing Camp in Lordsville, New York. Lee continues to guide on the river and host anglers to great fly fishing destinations throughout the world. Lee is a staunch conservationist, co-founded Friends of the Upper Delaware River, and is currently co-chairman of the Delaware River Committee for the Pennsylvania Council of Trout Unlimited. Lee accepted a community service award by the Upper Delaware Council in 2014 and also received a U.S. congressional recognition for outstanding and invaluable service to the community. Lee is the author of Trails in a Wild Frontier about his fishing travels through Siberia and the Kola Peninsula from 1990 to 2013 and was an agent for the Swedish company on the Kola Peninsula, routinely taking American clients fishing for Atlantic salmon. Lee, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Well, thank you, uh, Roger. I'm, uh, good to have anxious. you. Yep, I'm anxious to be on the show. Well, good. We've got lots of questions for you, lots of ground to cover tonight. So uh, so we'll dive right in here. Um, talking about the Delaware River, which is well known in the fly fishing world, as one of the premium fisheries in the United States. And so it'll be fun to talk about it again and uh, explore your angle, which is uh, from a historical standpoint to begin with, because this, this river has a lot of history. And uh, we're, we're here to enjoy it today because of a lot of work that a lot of people have done, um, you included, from what I understand. So, so I'll have you guide us downriver and through the history and uh, to where we are today, and um, it should be a fun journey. So. Let's just start out because, Lee, we have people from all over the world listening uh, to the show. So not everybody's familiar with uh, where the Delaware River is. So you can kind of describe where it is, where it starts and ends. Okay. Well, it starts in the Catskills in uh, New York, and uh, it flows about 330 miles down to the Delaware Bay. Uh, it borders uh, uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania as well. So it, it has two reservoirs on its branches. The, the east branch uh, is the Papacton Reservoir, and the west branch is the Cannonsville Reservoir. And they're both bottom releases, uh, which makes for a good trout habitat water. It also has tributaries, right? Uh, it has uh, three major tributaries, the Schuylkill River near Philadelphia. Uh, it starts in the, the coal regions of uh, actually by my hometown of Delano. I, I'm at the headwater of the Schuylkill River where I used to live. Uh, and the Lehigh River, it flows out of the Francis E. Walder Dam down and is one of the longest tributaries on the uh, Delaware. Uh, and then there's the uh, Lackawaxen River, which flows out of the uh, Lake Wallenpompak. So uh, a lot of water flowing through there. Uh, Delaware must be a big river. Does the, uh, oh, it, it is. It gets bigger as it gets gets down to Philadelphia, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Now, the Delaware itself, uh, disregarding the, the tributaries and, and the uh, two forks, is free-flowing still, right? Free-flowing, yes. It's the uh, the longest free-flowing river east of the Mississippi. So, uh, and we'll talk in a, a bit about uh, how uh, the, it was. There was an attempt to dam it up at one point, but uh, 
It didn't happen, but we'll, we'll explore that here in just a few minutes. So um, 330 miles. We'll uh, also talk about where you know good fishing areas are here uh, in a little bit as well, because that's a lot, lot of river to cover. Um, but when in the early days, and, and this goes back to pre-colonial days, I assume, um, uh, when the uh, Native Americans were living in the area and so forth, what were the kinds of fish that were native to the river at, in the, at that time? Well, there's 44 different uh, native fish in the Delaware uh, right now, and but the the major species that they uh, used for uh, uh, their food it were sturgeon and shad. Uh, the American sturgeon uh, lived along. There was millions of sturgeon in the river at that time, but right now they're pretty much decimated. Oh, really? Yeah. Still a shad population? Uh, the shad population right now is very good. Uh, years back, um, you want me to talk about the history of that shad? Sure, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah well, yeah. years back, uh, in 1927, there was a major pollution block in Philadelphia. The sewage just seeped out into the Schuylkill River and down, uh, it dumped 200,000 pounds of sewage in the river, and it was a major stumbling block for shad. Fact that ruined the shad fishing and the shad migration for many years until the 1990 flood in uh, Poconos uh, that happened, um, the major flood. So it did come back and it's restored. It took a while, but um, the shad runs are fairly well uh, good up here in the river. They generally spawn in May and early June, and uh, they, they, they go up to the main stem and the east branch mostly, about 80% of them, and even into the Beaverkill, which is one of the tributaries of the Delaware as well. Which is another famous river, right? That is, yep. That's uh, one of the... As far as the uh, fly fishing is concerned, yeah. Yep. yep. That's the fly fishing capital of... Uh, New York, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, so that was, uh, so they ran, ran quite a ways up the river then uh, to do their spawning. And they spawned, did they spawn in the tributaries or in uh, the Delaware River itself? Uh, mostly in the river itself and uh, the tributaries, uh, which includes uh, the beaver kill. And... Um, you say the, the runs start in May, and uh, how long do they go if one were to come out to fish for shad? When, when well, maybe uh, the shad will, will uh, their trigger uh, to start movement is 55 degrees, and uh, they'll start moving up, uh, you know, from um, April, early April, and uh, uh, it's the buck shad that comes up first, and then uh, a few weeks later the um, the females come up. And um, they like 65 degree, 63 to 65 degree water temperature during spawning, and um, which is actually perfect usually during May. During May, okay, okay. Uh, and after they spawn, do they they go back down river? Uh, we lose a lot, about 50 percent. My guess is, and that's a, that's just a guess. Okay. Um, but they will return. And they do feed on dry flies, 
after they spawn. In fact, uh, last week, we, um, uh, two weeks ago, we caught one on a dry fly. Okay, okay. Um, now, prior to um, the accident or, or the on-purpose <laughs> pollution that you talked about, going way back, uh, the, the river, I assume, you know, like I said, pre-colonial days was used for many different purposes. What was it used for um, in history uh, besides oh, well, as we it, like to look at it? So. Yeah. Well, by the mid-18th uh, mid century, uh, there was timber rafting, and they started rafting. A guy by the name of Dan Skinner, he come here from Connecticut, and in the late 1700s, he started to take these rafts down to Philadelphia. He would float them down to the Philadelphia port, and they made ship's masts and, uh, for the British you know, ships. And they would walk back home after they would, um, and the, it was all hemlocks and pine that they took down there, and uh, then they walked back home after they <laughs> got, got into their load, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh. And were there any other events that kind of transformed the river in a in a bad way back then? Uh, that that uh, seems yeah. like would be pretty. Uh, it was the timber, the, the timber rafting. Uh, became very popular up here, and Dan Skinner died probably in around 1800. And um, there were, like, uh, numerous outfitters up here for timber rafting uh, loggers, and uh, they had 33,000 timber rafts in one day flowing down the river back in the 1800s. And what happened was, you know, they the uh, tanning industry, the acid mine or acid drain, um, uh, factories destroyed most of the timber and the woodlands where the mountains were just barren of, of trees by the late 1800s. Just clear cut them, huh? Yep, and it destroyed the uh, brook trout tributaries where um, they, they were just depleted. Uh, the brook trout, and the Delaware River did have brook trout as well. They, they were native to the uh, river itself. Uh, but a guy by the name of Seth Green, um, he developed the first fish hatchery in New York State up in, near the Genesee River, and uh, he got some eggs from California. Uh, at the time, Ulysses S. Grant was... Uh, commissioned uh, Dr. Livingston Stone. He was from, uh, I believe, uh, Vermont. And uh, he went to California, and he was to find uh, trout and salmon in order to replenish the, the fish that, that were decimated uh, throughout the country. And what Livingston Stone found was in... Uh, at the base of McLeod River, where it came into the Sacramento River, he put in a fish hatchery himself there, and um, he started mixing the eggs of both what he called 10-pound trout, which were probably steelhead, 
and the trout, the, the native trout that were out there, the red band trout. And he sent these eggs to different hatcheries across the state, uh, the United States. And uh, they wound up at Seth Green's Trout Hatchery one day, and uh, that's how we got our rainbow trout in the river. And when, when did that happen? That happened in 1870. Uh, well, the first implant was 1881. Um, the, his trout, or uh, what, what they did is they put them in milk canister on a train, and they these were uh, train cars, uh, and uh, they uh, would stop at different tributaries and put ice and, and water, cool water, to, to keep the eggs um, intact. And uh, they were delivered to Seth Green in, in, I don't have the book in front of me, but it, I think uh, in 1876. Wow. And, it's amazing uh, that they were able to keep all that stuff alive <laughs> across it, the country. Well, they, me, you know? yes, yes. A certain amount did spoil, of course, and... Uh, yeah, but they, he was able to uh, put in uh, fingerlings. He used a horse and buggy to take around to uh, the different creeks in uh, Genesee, New York, and everything. And they found their way down to the Beaverkill as well. And uh, also he asked conductors from a train, uh, conductor, to take some of the milk canisters of uh, fingerlings that he raised and dump them in tributaries wherever they stopped. Uh, and uh, one of the tributaries was up in the, the um, Walton, New York. So they were put in at Walton, New York in uh, 1881. That's the first implants to the system. Walt New York was on the West Branch. And uh, the other tributaries on the East Branch was Kadosha Creek and Reed Creek. And they put, uh, I think, 15,000 fingerlings in the Reed Creek and Kadosha Creek on the East Branch. Okay. Was that essentially the start of making the Delaware a, a trout river? Well, both the Delaware and the brook trout as well for uh, the other tributaries in the state. Uh, Seth Green, who got these fingerlings, raised these fingerlings, thought they were, uh, he called them California mountain trout. But they grew so fast that he, he wasn't even sure what they were. Uh, but uh, they turned out to be uh, a rainbow trout. Yeah, yeah. A lot of... Uh... A lot of fish came out of that area in uh, California, all over the world. Uh, mm -hmm. Rainbows yep. seemed to be uh, a central point for distribution at that time. Yeah, so um, let's take a quick break and break, and we'll come back and we'll talk here uh, shortly about something that uh, almost screwed up the whole river. So <laughs> we'll talk about a tox island and uh, a potential dam there and. Uh, so everybody hang tight here. We'll be right back, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Baja Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams. And just so there's no mistake, 
They derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore, they can match your expectations with their experience and coaching. A vacation with Baja Fly Fishing is more than a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its back roads, kayaking its shoreline, surfing and snorkeling while pioneering the fly fishing techniques that have evolved into the tactics used today. They are well-versed in fly fishing the beach, in kayaks, on fongos, and are well-versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of roosterfish, dorado, marlin, sailfish, wahoo, jack creval, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website at BajaFlyFish.com. Again, that's BajaFlyFish.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Lee Hartman about the Delaware River story. If you'd like to ask Lee a question, just go to our homepage and fill out that form and uh, send it in, and we'll, we'll try to get it answered tonight on the show. So, uh, Lee, I always ask my guests, um, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world? Obviously, completing this book was a major effort, um, and I'm, I'm not sure how, how, long, how many years did it take you to put this together? I'm assuming years. <laughs> but uh, I had a lot of information that uh, I saved over the years being the, uh, the co-chairman of uh, Pennsylvania Council of Trout Unlimited. I, I was a very young man back then and pretty shy, but I, I saved a lot of information from newspapers and what have you. And uh, I think what triggered me to do this Delaware River story is the fact that my rushing adventure went over there, and I was one of the first to uh, fish in Russia, in the Siberian areas, and on the Kola Peninsula for Atlantic salmon. And I wrote a book on that as well. But uh, I decided to write this book in a similar manner and do a little bit of the history. And uh, that's how this started uh, with this book. Yeah, yeah. Now, you're also involved in a lot of conservation efforts, right? Are you still... Oh, yeah, we're into the upper Delaware for sure. Um, they're a major factor in helping uh, this river for sure. Keep, keeping it away is improving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I continue good. to be the uh, co-chairman for the Pennsylvania Council. Okay, good, good, well, good. Um, so let's talk about... Um, the other thing I saw in your book we really didn't talk about is uh, coal played a big factor in the area in the early stages, right? Oh, yes, uh, it did. As a kid, <laughs> I used to fish Little Pine Creek. Uh, I was from a town of, uh, called Delano, which had 250 people. And we were, uh, the town is built on top of a, an 1,800-foot mountain that, um, and uh, it was known for its uh, railways uh, for hauling coal. And, uh, well, the little Schuylkill ran behind my house, and, um, and it was nothing but a trickle. And uh, my first fishing experience was about seven years old. I uh, snuck out with uh, a can of worms and uh, followed uh, my neighbor's boy who didn't want me to fish with him because I was too little. But I did find my first uh, brook trout 
and what I'm getting at is five miles downstream was the Little Schuylkill River, which was polluted with just coal deposits, and uh, it, it, it ran uh, orange. It looked like beer water, and it was so polluted. But I had no idea. I think that was the first impression I got uh, of what pollution causes and, uh, you know, and what clean water means to us. So, so not only did the, the lumber industry have to clean up, uh, clean that act up, but also the coal industry, I assume, as years went on. Yeah, the, recent. the European, you know, it, it, the, the Lenny Lenape lived on this river for over 10,000 years and didn't do anything. It took about 100 years for man to destroy, uh, the white man to destroy some of the beautiful parts of the, the rivers and streams. Yeah, yeah, amazing what we can destroy in short order. Mm -hmm. um, and still doing it. Uh, well, it sounds like, though, the, the river's coming back. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Uh, so, so tell us about Tox Island. Um, and uh, I think you, you referred to it in your book as the legend of Tox Island. <laughs> so it's been a mysterious title for that chapter. Yeah, well, uh, Tox Island, uh, there, was, there was a flood in 1955. It, was, it killed like 48 people. This flood, it was devastating, and it was uh, on the Delaware River. Um, and the government, the federal government in 1929, on the back burner, they had a possible, uh, hold on a minute, I'm going to look this up. Uh, should have wrote this down. Yeah, the U U.S. Army Corps of Engineers on the back burner, they had uh, um, a flood re disaster uh, relief program. And uh, they, in 1960, they, they decided that they were going to build a dam on the, on the Delaware. And uh, it was a 400-foot uh, high earthen dam that would need about 3.5 million cubic yards of earth and rock to raise the water level from the riverbed 160 feet. And uh, it would be uh, seven miles long and displace 15,000 inhabitants. And um, it submerged several towns, roadways, working farms, and historical landmarks. And for many years, there was a woman called, uh, named Nancy Shikaitis, who I knew very well, actually. And uh, she, her family was one of the original families that settled there in that area. And uh, she uh, went to Washington, D.C. to alone. She was like a lone ranger in Washington, D.C., and she pleaded with, you know, the, uh, the Del River Basin Commission and all those that wanted this program and got nowhere. Make a long story short, 
she got some allies, you know, over the years and was able to persuade individuals and everyone that had their home taken. The federal government in there seized their homes and they organized. And a guy by the name of Peter Kostmeyer, who was a Democratic congressman, he sided with Nancy. And make a long story short, uh, they were able to get a congressional hearing and convince some of the DRBC people. The Delaware River Basin Commission's representatives uh, were Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, and Delaware. And they were in favor all the time uh, for the dam, but she convinced a few of them that it's not going to work, and you're destroying the shad population. It won't go up, uh, or they, they won't be able to survive in that river anymore. And and Peter Kostermeyer convinced some of the Congress people to take, uh, take action and, and defeat this thing. So in 90, 1972, they tabled it. And uh, for possible construction, but they tabled the project. And it, it was basically because of the, the uh, Vietnam War as well, because the country was in debt. Uh, Nixon made the Clean Water Act back then, and um, that 37-mile lake was defeated, eventually defeated. It was... Uh, it was um, tabled and defeated in, in 1978. And where would that have been uh, on the river? Right in the middle of the Delaware. That was in the... Um, uh, Upriver from Stroudsburg, below? Uh, it, it was just... It was downriver from Stroudsburg. It was uh, at the uh, Walpack Valley in, in New Jersey, uh, which is the Delaware Water Gap. Okay, I see that on your map, yeah. yeah. That's where they were going to... And it was basically to control flooding? It wasn't a energy generation project, right? It was a flood control project. They were going to do a recreational uh, around the, the lake. Uh, uh -huh. But I don't think it would ever have worked because there was so much nutrients in the water. Uh, they were also going to use it for a water supply as well, Philadelphia. And I think that nutrients was one of the reasons Philadelphia and Pennsylvania decided not to support. Is, um, is the Delaware still a water supply for... Uh I heard New York City, is it? Or is it oh, yeah. Uh, the, the reservoirs on the East Branch and the West Branch are water supply reservoirs. They actually uh, have aqueducts. New York City has aqueducts to, to from Cannonsville and Papacton. They go into another reservoir, and uh, they 50% of their water in New York City is supplied by the Cannonsville and Papacton reservoirs. But Pacton Reservoir is a mostly 
mostly used for their water supply. Cannonsville Reservoir is used for the flow targets downriver to keep the salt line out and also to maintain 1,750 CFS for New Jersey. They also are part of that. Okay, okay. Well, let's talk about um, fishing. So um, Don from Montana wrote, any, wrote in a bunch of questions here. Thanks, Don. And I'm for, if this is the same Don, a good friend of mine, helped me start this Ask About Fly Fishing uh, show so many years ago. Um, uh, he asks, what sections of the Delaware offer the best fishing? And I'm assuming he's talking about trout fishing. So, Well, currently, because Cannonsville is, uh, has the obligation to satisfy the 1750 target, uh, and it's it has a more nutrients in the system, so they don't they, they use that mainly to satisfy the flow target. So as a result, the cold water from the reservoir uh, keeps the trout intact. You know, it comes out 45 degrees, and the West Branch is the most popular place to fish. It has a lot of wild brown trout and uh, a few rainbows but uh, mainly uh, brown trout. So that's the most popular place. That's way up there in the headwaters, basically, the, the two forks, right, above hand? Yes. Okay. And there's a lot of river below that. <laughs> so there, there is. There's 73 miles of trout water uh, up, up in, in, in there. Okay. That's from uh, Cannesville, Papacton, the East Branch, West Branch, and the main stem. At one time, they had a temperature target at Calicoon, which maintained the water between 72 and 75 degrees. So it, it was able to cool uh, the river enough to maintain the rainbow trout. The rainbows mainly are in the main stem of the river. And, uh, but in recent events, they moved the target up to Lordville, which is eight miles north, eight, eight or ten miles north of the gauge that they were using down there. And they also increased the gauge to 75 degrees. And um, the fear I have is, uh, uh, and, and uh, we're going to lose our, our trout populations in the lower section. Mm. So, um, and I'm not sure, I'm just looking at your map here. So is there any, the, the section you're just talking about, is that still above Hancock or is that below Hancock? Oh, no, it's not above Hancock. Uh, it's uh, Lordville, New York, where the gauge, the temperature gauge is, is about uh, eight miles south of Hancock. Okay, okay. And then below that point, basically, there's not really any trout fishing uh, the well, there is. Uh, oh, there is. Okay. It was very good this spring, but in the summertime, the water temperatures go up too high, and we lose that uh, that fishing. You know, the guy. Uh, I, I guide a lot on the main stem. It's my favorite trip. is is actually south of Lordville, and uh, it's it's actually very good fishing. But uh, when we we get into stress levels temperature levels, uh, we have to cease fishing. And that's one of the reasons why the West Branch is so crowded. 
uh, everybody goes up there because the river has gotten very popular. And uh, we, our goal is to try to maintain uh, more fishing downriver in order to spread the wealth. Okay. So... Um... How we do that, I'm not sure, but we're working on it. Yeah. Yeah, so when the, when the water warms up, do the fish move up? Uh, yes. Actually, there was a, a transmitter study done in 85 on that. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, 1995. Uh, and I was part of that study. There was one rainbow trout that moved 129 miles. Wow. Mm-hmm. That was the most unusual distance. I mean, it was it would go up to the junction of the east and west branch, and then return down below Narrowsburg into Ten Mile Creek, and then the following year it went back up again to, to the junction. Wow, so, wow quite a journey. Yeah. They, yeah. So during the summer. Yeah. 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 So um, now, as, so essentially on the two branches, you've got tailwaters right below the dams there, I take it? Uh, yes. Uh, Papakton doesn't release a lot of water because they're saving that. That's uh, New York sh City's champagne water, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, they have minimal flow releases. So below the beaver kill, which is not dammed up, uh, it gets warm, particularly in the summertime. Uh, so it's similar to what's happening below Lordville. Uh, you know, it warms up, you don't fish. So again, that, that squeezes everyone over to the West Branch to fish. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Don also asked, is there sections of the Delaware that are suitable for wade fishing? Oh, yes. Uh, in fact, I practice wade fishing uh, a lot. I mean, I guide from a boat, but I, I do like to get the anglers out and wade fish. Yeah, it, it's not a hard time to wade, particularly when the water levels is 1,800 CFS or below. Uh, when it gets to 4,000 CFS and 5,000 CFS uh, or 3,000 CFS, we, we use a boat and fish from the boat. Okay. You're using drift boats there? Yes. I have a drift boat okay. and a raft. Okay. Okay. Um, and what? how long are the floats usually? Uh, we generally, I like to go out a, an hour early before everybody else goes out, so anywhere from 10 to 9 o'clock at night. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. And um, like the Western guides, they, they like to quit 5 or 6, but... Uh, uh, most guides stay out till dark. That's when the best fishing dark. is. Yeah, yeah. And you said there's some nice browns up there too, right? So those there, guys there is. A friend dark. of mine got a 29-inch brown trout two weeks ago on the lower main stem. So um, a message uh, came in, a question from Mike Conklin from Longmeadow, Massachusetts. He says, uh, Lee, if I'm traveling from Massachusetts and looking for an area of the upper Delaware to fly fish without giving up secrets, 
what section of the river would you suggest? It's just probably where you just suggested, right? Oh, well, yeah, depending on the season. Uh, you know, I, I favor the, uh, you know, the main stem, but it's the spring of the season that's best. Uh, the hatches are plentiful. Uh, we had a great uh, green drake hatch, good spinner fall, March browns, and uh, all the important hatches, Hendrickson's. But when okay. it comes to June, um, we lost the Isonicia, which is a June hatch, uh, because the water temperature right now is, is a little too high, and they, they don't seem to be. It does affect those hatches uh, when the waters go up. But now the west branch is just crowded with boats. Ah, uh, okay. So that's a problem. Uh, so you're better to come earlier in the season or later in the season? If, if uh, April and May is the best uh, yet to come okay. uh, for the main stem. Yeah. And, okay. and parts of June. June actually was pretty good for the first week or so, uh, but now it's tailed off. Now, um, you primarily Don was asking also about uh, species, so we've mentioned uh, rainbows and browns. You've got some brooks, brookies up in the tributaries, I, I take it, or little side creeks. Um, uh, there, are, uh, there are some. It's mostly uh, the rainbows. I'm glad you mentioned this. Um, the browns are really increasing in numbers, and I, because they they can spawn in the river and tributaries, whereas the rainbows they only spawn in the tributaries, and it's usually the tributaries south of Lordville, uh, and so that's where we're losing them. We used to fish in the main stem and catch six rainbows to one brown. And now it's 50-50. Uh, huh. Yeah, so um, it's turning into a brown trout fishery. But the further down you go, the, you get rainbows, uh, particularly in around the tributaries that they spawn. That's interesting because it seems like in a lot of rivers, at least out west here, the rainbows tend to like the colder water and the, and the browns tend to be downstream where it starts to warm up. Uh, it sounds like it's the reverse, but yeah. that's yeah. that's what it is. Yep. But it is. Um, Don also asked about muskies. Are there muskies in the river? Uh, not in the upper river. Uh, I imagine there may be uh, in the lower river, but uh, I have not seen one. What about smallmouth? Smallmouth there is, yes, particularly in the main stem and uh, the lower east branch. You can get smallmouth. Um, That's not something that you target, though? I don't target, but we do catch them on flies, you know, accidentally. Um, yeah. Just like shad. We've got a few on shad uh, uh, on flies. And uh, there's also stripers in the river as well. Oh, wow. Well, well. well, let's take a quick break here, Lee, and um, we'll be right back, and we'll talk more about uh, fishing the fishing. Okay. Delaware River. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Watermaster is dedicated to providing their customers with the highest quality inflatables on the market as well as unbeatable customer service and product support. They are best known for their signature rat products, the Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak rafts. These rafts are lightweight, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. The Watermaster rafts are everything your personal watercraft should be. 
They have been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of fly fishing's greatest innovators. Dave said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method I have ever tried. After two and a half years of testing 15 models of kick boats, I'm convinced that the Watermaster is the ultimate personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. Visit Watermaster today and take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to BigSkyInflatables.com. That's BigSkyInflatables.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Lee Hartman about the Delaware River. If you'd like to ask Lee a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll try to answer the questions uh, as, uh, as many as we can tonight on the show. So. Okay, um, uh, we got a question in just now from Timothy McGoy, and um, he says he's in Port Jervis, New York. Uh, how does Montague, New Jersey, come into the H2O flow? Has this changed as a result of recent agreements between the five states that are on the Delaware? Repeat that. I, you broke up a little bit. Okay, yeah. He says, um, how does the Montague, uh, New Jersey, come into the H2O flow? Oh. Um, okay, well, the U.S. Supreme Court in 1954 ruled that New Jersey must, they must maintain, the New York City releases must maintain a flow of 1750 CFS. And uh, it's generally uh, used when the, the water level gets to 1750, they start releasing. Uh, they, have to, they time it pretty much, it takes three days for that to get down to the Montague target. So they they release uh, the water three days in advance to satisfy this flow target. Okay. So his question was, how has this changed as a result of recent agreements between the five states? How does it change? Yeah, between the recent agreements between the five states that are on the Delaware. Uh, so well, there, there, the, the recent agreement the, the, that doesn't change. The okay. 1750 is a, a court decree decision. Uh, they cannot change that flow. Okay. 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 Um, uh, some more questions about um, uh, the river itself. Don is wanting to know: Are there fly fishing guides available available for the whole length of the river? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, uh, I, I only know my little home area here, you know, of the Upper Delaware system. I know most of the guides. Right. There, there's actually about 60 guides. Uh, some 60 of them guides. work for outfitters. I'm an independent guide, but some work for outfitters uh, along the river, particularly on the West Branch. And uh, I don't know of any downriver. You know, the main stem, by the way, is in the wild and scenic portion of the river. Uh, there's uh, very few buildings and houses along the river, and uh, it, it's just a wonderful river to, to float, uh, just for the scenery alone. Right, right. Now, you didn't mention it earlier, but uh, do you, uh, how do people find out about your guide service? Do you have a website? Oh, uh, well, um, I, I had a website, worldanglingtravels.com, uh, but I'm uh, I'm uh, 
I'm, I'm changing it. So um, I'm getting less trips now. I'm getting a little older now, but then doing less trips. But I, I, he can look or she can look on uh, my Facebook page called World Angling Travels, and uh, I do some advertisement there on, on that page. World Angling Travels. Okay. Yeah, Facebook. my Facebook page uh, is, uh, of course, Lee Hartman, and then uh, I have a link from my page. Okay, Lee Hartman. Okay. All right. So Facebook, Lee Hartman, and then okay. All right. Good. Good. Um, I think we already answered uh, Lee Smith's question on best time of year. We were talking uh, early spring, and um, Mike Conklin in Massachusetts wants to know what what size weight rods line do you suggest for fishing the Upper Delaware? I own a nine weight uh, nine foot nine, five weight. And what about leader length and tippet size? Well, nine foot five is is perfect. Um, I have a nine four, which I like, uh, and a nine six, and I have a nine five, but it's perfect. Um, uh, leader length, uh, I like a, a long leader, particularly for dry flies and even nymphs sometimes. But um, yeah, five x tippet is always. Uh, is basically the mainstay uh, everyone uses. I mean, if you get a bigger fly, then you can go to 4X. But uh, um, 5X and even sometimes 6S has to be used on those wily fish, particularly on the on the West Branch and the brown trout. Do you do a combination of nymphing and dry fly fishing, or is it more? I do. I, I, I actually uh, started out in nymph fishing, and I, I, I enjoy it. A lot of anglers do not like to nymph fish, but uh, I do. I like to nymph fish. And, uh, but uh, most, most people up here, I, I'd guess about 80% of them want to fish on dry or on top. What about streamers? Streamers is good on the west branch, in particular the, uh, the upper in the deposit area close to the dam. They have a lot of alewives up there in the dam, and they come over the top sometimes and spill into the river, and, and um, white streamers are, are really good, you know, uh, a yeah, little bit yeah. of red in them and purple. But uh, yeah. a lot of nice brown trout with streamers up there. Not so much in the main stem. Okay, okay. Sherry uh, wrote in and asked, she says, I've heard uh, about a fly called the Delaware River Fox. Is there such a fly? <laughs> what does that's it my fly. Or who created it? Oh, that's your fly. <laughs> okay. That's a Delaware Fox, yes. I, I happen to know Sherry. <laughs> oh, you do? Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, and she also ended it, does it work? So, uh, does it work? <laughs> it doesn't work, she said? No, she says, and does it work? So... <laughs> Well, it's, it it's does, my huh? top fly. Um, okay. <laughs> I, uh, I catch a lot of fish, and my clients catch a lot of fish on it. Uh, I had um, um, Dave Perkins. He's an Orvis uh, guy. Uh, he's the CEO of Orvis. I floated uh -huh. him downriver, and it was in around 5,000 CFS, and uh, we hit the banks with that fly. My friend Dan Plummer was with us. And um, we just used that fly all the way down the river, um, and uh, he caught 10 beautiful trout, nothing under 15 inches. And there was no flies on the water. 
matching. I'm trying to look it up here. No, you won't find it. You won't <laughs> find it, huh? Okay. <laughs> so, uh, all right, it's a secret fly. You have to go with <laughs> Lee on the river to use this delicate. Unless Sherry, Sherry, if you want to share the pattern for that in a picture, we'd all appreciate it. <laughs> It'll probably work out here too. So. Um, okay, so we'll uh, we'll drop that subject. <laughs> so um, so you do a lot of floating on the river, a lot of nymphing, dry fly fishing, some streamer fishing. Anything in particular about fishing the river that one would want to should know that that makes the, the Delaware different than maybe fishing other rivers? Uh, well, rainbows love the, the ripples, and brown trout uh, like slower pools most of the time. Uh, there are um, lamprey eels that come up and spawn, uh, and then they die off. you got to watch if you're waiting and, you, you, and one hits you in the boot. It's kind of scary. Do <laughs> um, they bite you in the boot? No. No, no. Lampreys uh, are bloodsuckers. You know, the eels uh, make a big nest, uh, big red. Uh, you, you can see it in, in very shallow water, also, where you would wade, and uh, they uh, they'll they'll uh, you know lay their nest in there. They got the elvers that come in, and the the, the little elvers uh, will sometimes attach on trout, and uh, they'll fall off when, when you pull them in, but uh, they, they do it, uh, uh, you okay. know, they're blood suckers on trout and, and yeah. fish. Yeah, you know. okay. So, um, okay, well, let's, uh, let's look at, um, let, me, uh, let me do one more break here, and then we'll finish up talking about uh, a little bit more about fishing here and then where this uh, the river's going in the future here. So uh, hang tight. We'll be right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing the critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration habits like Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish and their habitats like peacock bass study in Miami, Florida. FFI's core values remain unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish and to preserve and promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't nearly be as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing, Internet Radio, and we're talking with Lee Hartman about the Delaware River. So if you have any questions, uh, use that form on our homepage, send them in, and we'll, we'll get them answered. Okay. Um, let's see here. Now, um, Dan Hucko in New York uh, wrote in, uh, Lee, and he says, I fished the West Branch last week. It was pretty bright and not a lot of bugs. No rising fish until nearly too dark to see. Uh, that's why you just stay out late, right? <laughs> I nipped all the channels at 
Hales Eddie and didn't even get a strike. I also tried wets and small streamers. Question one, what do you do as a last resort when there's no top activity and the fish seem to have lockjaw? That's his first question. Good night. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, yeah, that happens a lot. When you have bright days and you're in a brown trout area, uh, they get stubborn. You know, uh, brown trout like dark water or dark days. Some rainy conditions bring out the best in, in trout fishing. Um, you just have to grin and bear it sometimes. But he did the right thing. He went down deep, didn't hook up. I'm not sure uh, uh, why, but uh, you just gotta gotta grin and bear it, and, and maybe take two days, and, and you you might catch them the second day. I don't know. But uh, well, they're they're just days that are off. Well, let's face it, right? I yep. Mean, you know. Um, I mean, if been, if he was only here one day and did that, I I've done that many times, and yeah. we all have. Yeah, yeah. I've, I don't know how many times I've been at a takeout when, and all the guides are shaking their heads, going, "What a day!" You know, I just nobody was doing any good. So it's not always our fault. It sounds like he really worked the water heavily, though. So um, uh, like yeah, he knows what he's doing. Surprising. Um, I mean, because there's a lot of fish on the West Branch. If that's where he was, there is a lot of fish. Yeah, he said uh, it was West Branch. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yesterday, I was on the porch with Al Cucci, and uh, we looked over his pool, and uh, it was drizzly day, dark, drizzly and dark, and uh, there were rising fish um, quite a bit uh, on his home yeah. pool. Yeah. So that, those are the days you dream about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he had another question. He says, what do you do when the fish are cruising and taking flies off the top? Uh, they are not, and they are not set up in feeding lanes. Uh, I see that flies. a lot. I do see that a lot, uh, particularly when they're coming from a riffle into a slower pool. Uh, they come in to feed, you know, and uh, they'll just feed and then move up, feed and move up. Uh, and then they, they sometimes back go back down, and then it'll feed and move up. He has to, um, the, the Delaware is noted for the reach cast. You have to have a reach cast uh, to get your fly down in front of the fish before the line starts dragging it. I don't know if he's having that problem or not, but that's the way you can catch fish here in, a, in the Delaware. You must have that, yeah. that type of cast. Yeah, I think he's... Um trying to figure out how to uh, probably target or cast a cruising fish rather than... Yeah, it, well, intercepting it, yes. You just, you know, I've often chased fish, if, if you're waiting in particular, um, you know, moving up and trying to get uh, the right angle. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's kind of a guessing game if you can't see them where they're going to rise next, you know. So yeah. I face that a lot in the lake down the hill from me that I fish in, you know. Rise here, I cast to there, and then they rise uh, two feet to the right, and then they rise two feet to the left. <laughs> you know, you, you never seem to be in the right spot. But sometimes you go right back to the same spot, and they're there. So, um, yeah. Um, Alan Jay in Cold Spring, New York, wrote, and he says, Highly, I'm fairly new to fly fishing, two and a half years. It's become a passion in a short time. I love the adventures it creates for me. That being said, I fish the lower Catskills mostly and would love to learn about and start fishing 
uh, the Delaware. I'd like to get your take on the best way to start learning on how to do this. Well, the best way I learn is is uh, through my brother, my older brother, and uh, have a partner. And that's many, many years ago when um, fly fishing wasn't really, uh, you know, the normal thing to do. Uh, but today, there's so many people that are taking up fly fishing. He should get someone uh, that has a little bit more experience and, um, you know, try to mimic what he's showing you and, um, you know, and uh, you be, become a better angler if you have a companion that, that can teach you. Or he can get an instructor. There's a lot of instructors down here. Um, you know, um, in fact, I'm one. Uh, I, I, I do uh, uh, instructions for, for kids at the Bill Canefield camp, uh, fly fishing camp. But I don't know how old he is, but, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe he, he should uh, look for uh, an instructor. Yeah. Well, uh, the white you, uh... fly shop up here, uh, Joe D. Malderas, uh, runs fly shop up there. He's a guide also. And I noticed that uh, once in a while he, he takes customers out in the in the backyard there and shows them the ropes, and I, he probably doesn't even charge them. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's uh, I found that's always a way to learn is to go with a guide. And uh, if you get uh, a good guide, and you might ask in advance about the guide you're getting, um, you know, do they like uh, working with new fly fishers and uh, and you love a whole lot in a day. <laughs> yeah. Know, so. I, I love taking beginners and women, and I'll tell you why. Because the men uh, generally uh, are a little bit stubborn, and, and they, they know it all kind of thing, you know, <laughs> which is okay. Uh, but the, the women listen, and, and the young, I have a neighbor kid I took out, and he listened too. Uh, he's only 14 years old. And um, uh, I got him into his first first trout on a fly rod you know, last week, actually. And uh, but they the ones that want to learn listen better. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Be all ears. Every time I in all the years I've been fishing, every time I go out with a guide, I learn something new. Because every every guide has their own way of doing things too. And, mm -hmm. and it, it may be a knot. It may be uh, how you wear your jacket, what you're waiting. I mean, all these little things, you know. Uh, and so there's always something to learn. Um, so we have, uh, to kind of close things out here, um, talking about challenges today. And we've got a bunch of questions that relate kind of to today. So I'll run through these about, you know, where the Delaware is in today's world. One question Tom Melville is asking about, can we get New York City to commit to a constant release? So I'm guessing that, um, either they're not releasing or they're not doing it on a consistent basis? Is, is that a well, problem? Or? Uh, I, I know what he's talking about uh, because okay. how, that's how we formed Friends of the Upper Delaware River. We wanted a 600 CFS release as measured at Lordville, and we wanted a constant flow to keep maintaining the trout fishery, you know, uh, uh, and uh, it's, it's virtually impossible with the Supreme Court ruling. Uh, 
and the Delaware River Basin Commission. They're the regulators of the river, and uh, you never know what kind of flows are going to come down. They, they, they have a scheduled release program, and they use the, a drought curve rule. Uh, it's, it's saving of water. So they're not going to release 600 CFS and lose water out of those reservoirs. And New York City won't allow it. And what we have to do is, is uh, we have a, now a flexible flow management plan that was introduced in 08, which we liked. However, when it was first uh, used in 2008, they didn't give us enough water for the flexible flow management plan. They, they used a minimum flow and it wound up uh, killing some fish. Um, but that has improved. The flexible flow management plan has improved, and we're getting a little bit more steadier flows. The only thing that I'm worried about now is the rainbow trout downriver, because we're not getting enough uh, flows for that end of the, um, the fishery. Hopefully, uh, we can find more uh, water in the, in the reservoirs, and, and we are working on it. We have a, a great executive director that's working uh, hard to maintain the flows, and we're looking at um, possibly uh, lowering the temperature at Lordville to 72 instead of 75. Uh, and there's a committee called the Subcommittee of Ecological flows, SEF. It's, a, uh, uh, it's under the umbrella of the Delaware Basin Commission. And um, we uh, go and attend these meetings, and um, you know they are listening to us. And unfortunately, we've lost two meetings already because of the COVID situation. Uh, but we have wow. that that's starting to talk about, you know, adding um, a few more flows. Okay, okay. A uh, question from Ed in New York. Um, he says, can you envision a time when fishing directly from watercraft should be limited on the Delaware and or its tributaries? This sort of regulation is present on a number of other world-class rivers to provide the fish a refuge from pressure. Yeah, I see that. I know it's a problem, but it's not a guide's problem. It's mainly the drift boats have increased dramatically in its private boats, and they're they go up to that west branch, and it, it's half the quantity of water than the main stem, and it gets crowded with boats and anglers, and it's a very difficult problem. That's why we're advocating to get the, the river from Lordville down opened more so that we can spread the, the uh, wealth. Yeah. And, you know and not get those crowded conditions and angry people, um, particularly uh, waiting anglers. You know, they, it's not a good mix. Yeah. Yeah, well, out west we have not, and this is not fishing um, yet, but um, I, I expect it to happen. Uh, we have a lot of whitewater rivers out here. We have um, Green River, the Yampa River, Colorado River, San Juan River. We have all these rivers that uh, people go whitewater rafting in, and it's come down to, not, as well as, as the Grand Canyon, where you have to uh, go into lotteries and so forth to get a permit. Well, the problem is is that only 10% of the permits issued are to private citizens. 
The other 90% go to guides and outfitters. So there's always the argument out here about, well, they're public waters. Why can't the public get on? <laughs> you know, you've yeah. got to hire a guide. And the guides don't want the public. They want the guide, you know, business. So it's a catch-22. But I imagine fishing's going to be like that at some point, too, where they're just, you know, on certain rivers, there's only going to be so many boats allowed that day, so many guide boats, so many private boats, and that's it. Because It may no happen. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's... Well, it's happened with the whitewater, you know, because it's, there's just too many people. And um, as you said earlier, you know, people are really good at destroying resources. So, But it will, it, it's only a matter of time, I figure, because there's not, there's no more water to be had, <laughs> but there's more people coming and coming every day. So, yeah, so, yeah mm -hmm. our, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, who knows what they'll have. But uh, uh, so all the more reason to try to protect what we have now, right? Uh, yeah. Yep. manage it as carefully as we can. Uh, but um, uh, let's see, we've got a few more here. Uh, Jim from Delaware County, New York. Uh, he says, as the river's been written about and become more famous, do you think there's, oh, that's, that's what we were just talking about, uh, too many guides and boats on the river during peak hatch times. Do you think there should be a limit on guides allowed to work the river and generally a daily slot limit to minimize boat traffic? Been fishing the river for 30 years, and the boat traffic is getting ridiculous during major hatches. So that's the same thing we were just talking about. Same thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see, Mike Conklin, uh, Long Meadow, Massachusetts. Uh, says, I grew up fishing the Montagap or Mongop. Mongop River. Yeah. Uh, trip, to, uh, trip to the Delaware. Uh, caught my first trout there. I've moved away from New York, but heard in 2006 they needed to repair Rio Dam, and they needed to drain the lake, and in doing so destroyed the great wild brown trout fishery that was in the river. Uh, as, as the Mongap River recovered, also heard that there was striped bass issue hurting the trout. What do you know about that, Louis? Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not familiar with the Mongop. It's, okay. it's out of my my area, for sure, down the river. Uh, I okay. do know about the Mongop uh, Reservoir, and I do know that they put stripers in there. They also put stripers in Lake Wall and Pompac, and I think that's where the stripers are coming from in the river. And uh, I don't know how you stop that. If if you get flows coming over those dams and, and stripers get into the river, yeah. you know, yeah. they're in the river. And the, the other thing is that there's a slot limit. If you catch a striper, it has to be 28 inches. And these stripers that they 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 that are coming up there are less than 28 inches, so you can't kill them. And um, you know, and that's a, that could be a problem. I, I haven't yeah. seen that problem yet. I, I have seen some stripers up to 21 pounds caught, caught in this river, but uh, that was using, uh, you know, bait. So I don't know yeah. if it's hurting the, the trout population. I'm not sure okay. yet. Okay. Uh, trout Boy <laughs> wrote in. He says, hi, Lee. First, I want to thank you for being one of, if not the most influential protector and river guardian of the Upper Delaware River has ever had. You have been a true leader and a voice for the river system I love. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for all your much-needed work. My question is, how important is it to get young boys and girls interested in the sport? And can you tell us about the FUDR, Canfield Fly Fishing Camp for Kids? <laughs> well, I happen to know Trout Boy. There's only one Trout Boy. <laughs> 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 so... Uh, yeah, 
Uh, in fact, these, uh, I have fished with Dan a lot. Uh, anyway, uh, I thank you for that compliment, Trout Boy. Uh, but, um, yeah, um, now, now I lost my train of thought. What do you ask? Oh, the oh, Bill King Fishing School. Okay, I got you. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I participate in that as well as he does, um, and we do it at the French Woods um, Sports and um, an Arts Center uh, right near Hancock, New York. It's local. And uh, unfortunately, the, we, we do two programs uh, per summer, um, one week each, uh, July and August. Uh, but we had to cancel them this year you know, because of the situation that we have in our country. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be next year. Um, we're going to have the same venue. It's going to be, uh, I think, the end of June. I don't know the dates for next year, but but um, what we do is we teach the kids from 12 to 17. Uh, they stay at the camp. Uh, they get Orbis fly rods and reels and lines to use and keep. Uh, there is a cost, but there's some sponsorships also. If uh, uh, some people can't afford their children to, to go to the school, it, it lasts a week. Uh, we take them on ponds at the camp and teach them uh, fly casting there. Uh, we we do fly tying. We do entomology courses out on the river, and uh, it's a full week's uh, of, uh, of fun. Uh, with these kids, and then we also wow. take them to a private um, small stream up in the Poconos. I um, I can't name because it's private and it's full of trout. Um, and uh, at the end of the week, and they start catching fish there. And um, they also visit the Catskill Fly Fishing Museum and get some history. And it's it's a lot of fun with these kids teaching them. And where does where would one find out about this? Uh, you contact me, or I, okay. I can give you I, I can send you a number to contact our program director. I'll do that. I'll send you something out uh, a link if that's okay, what you're I can asking. Post that, uh, yeah, I can post it on the show's page for that. So that people okay. Get that. Yeah. That'd okay. be great. That would be super. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and. Um, Okay, and uh, lastly, wind things up here. Phil McCartney in Kentucky asks, um, what do you think are the takeaways from the challenges that the Delaware River system has faced that might inform others who want to conserve and protect watersheds? So what have you learned over the years and that might be useful for, for others? Yeah, uh, you know, the biggest challenge is, you know, the, uh, the limiting factor on, tr on trout is temperature, and uh, we've lost good eight miles of rainbow trout fishing uh, downriver, like I was saying. I think I preached this a number of times on this program, but uh, that is our major goal, one of our major goals. And the New York DEC right now is doing a, uh, they have proposed new regulations for next year and they did classify the Delaware River as uh, a wild trout premier river. And there's no stocking here. They're all wild fish. They have, we have uh, 
I think probably 400 pounds per acre of fish up in the West Branch at least. And um, we're hoping that um, we can gain uh, some more river. It used to be uh, the, the New York DEC used to have the trout fishing uh, releases for down to Calicoon. Uh, as I said earlier, and, but, but they moved that gauge up and we've lost that section. So we're trying to get it back. And we, we've filed our comments to them, uh, hoping that uh, they will heed what we uh, are asking for. And uh, they have more clout than we do with the DRBC. So um, yeah. let's, let's hope we can get some, some more water. Yeah, and it's, it's, it seems very important to you, being a wild trout fishery, that you you maintain the environment there because it's not like you're throwing throwing in buckets of fish every year to replenish, right? I mean, it has to be mm -hmm. right. Otherwise, they don't spawn and they don't reproduce, and, and uh, there's no fish. So it's a delicate balance, it sounds like, uh, for sure. Yeah, um, I, I film them. I, I do um, checks on the tributaries uh, for the DEEC. Um, we, we take surveys of uh, the reds on, on these tributaries, and I got some nice film footage of uh, those spawning in the, in the tributaries, the lower tributaries, where I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Well, well, nice. Well, I wish you all the luck out there, Lee, in trying to preserve that and uh, working with your other friends out there that are working towards that end, too. So uh, to wish you all the best. <laughs> but, well, you know, it's... It, uh, yeah, there's a success story. It's just like the dam. I think at times we just have to stand up, and and if enough people stand up, then people start to listen, and uh, things can change, you know. So yeah, um, yeah. But uh, and we've been doing don't that. Ask, actually. You don't get. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You don't yeah. ask, you don't get, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, we talked before the show. We had a battle here years ago in Colorado. Same kind of thing. Putting a dam in, and and we beat it. Uh, and because of that, I don't have a uh, four-lane highway going by my house right now that I probably would have uh, if it had yeah. So Well, I might uh, see you on the South Platte someday. I, I go out there. My daughter lives out in Idaho Springs. And, oh, she um, does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do a lot yeah. of fishing out there. Well, when you get out here, give me a ring. We'll get together. So That'd be great. I'll try my little private lake here uh, as well if you <laughs> like lake fishing. <laughs> There's always fish in it. <laughs> so. All right. Well, um, hang with me here now, Lee, because we're not finished yet. We're going to give away your book here in a few minutes, along with a, a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal and a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. So stay around. Uh, your book, The Delaware River Story, is given away courtesy of Stackpole Books. And uh, I'm going to have you help me make sure I get the right answers to my questions. So. Uh, we'll be right back, and we'll do those do those uh, prize giveaways. Okay. The Bristol Bay region of southwest Alaska is home to the largest runs of wild salmon on the planet, some of the best trophy rainbow trout fishing found anywhere. Pebble mine still remains a threat to the region, and two, two million acres of federal lands may also be at risk. The entire fly fishing industry is united in this epic conservation battle. Anglers from across the country are joining the fight. Be one of them. Visit Save Bristol bay.org forward slash tell President Trump. Again, it's savebristolbay.org forward slash tell President Trump. And that 
uh, is where you can voice your um, concern about this watershed and uh, the preservation of it and learn more about how you can get involved and, and support, the, support the cause. So check it out and be, be part of the solution. Just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave our website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find the link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of the show? Just click on that link, leave your comments, and we'd really appreciate it. Now it's time to give away our prizes. Winners for the drawings are randomly selected from the show's registration database. And if you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for the next show. You don't want to miss out on um, the, the chance to win some of the good prizes that we have to offer. Now if you are the lucky winner, We'll contact you after the show and provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So the first thing we're giving away is a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org, flyfishersinternational.org. So if you don't win tonight, go there and check them out. Be, be, be part of the solution there as well. Uh, and our winner there, let me get the database going here. And... Winner is Robert Patterson in New York. Okay, so a local there, Robert Patterson. So enjoy your membership, Robert, and we'll get back with you after the show on how to get uh, get that going for you. And then the second thing we're giving away is a membership to, uh, I mean, a, a subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, courtesy of AmatoBooks.com. If you're not familiar with Amato, go to AmatoBooks.com. They have all kinds of books on fly fishing. Uh, and periodicals that uh, help you learn more about fly fishing. So check them out. And our winner there is George Caselli, C Caselli uh, in Pennsylvania. So again, uh, local probably listening in, in the, that fishes the Delaware. So George, congratulations on that as well. We'll get that uh, subscription started for you there. And now we're going to give away um, Lee Hartman's book, Delaware Story, courtesy of Stackpole Books. Um, if you don't win tonight, you can buy it. Uh, well, we have a link right on the uh, front of our website there too, uh, of where you can buy it. Uh, uh, so, uh, or Amazon or any of the major bookstores. So, check it out. And uh, this is going to be a two-part question tonight. Um, the first part is, what is Lee, Lee's preferred method of fishing? And two, what is the name of his secret fly? <laughs> I think it's by famous one way or another, Lee. You're going to have to give it up at one point. <laughs> I will. Yeah. I'll have I'll have all these people writing you from all over the the world about your secret fly. So at least put it in your will, you know, to be posted on Facebook upon my death. <laughs> you know, not wishing that for you, of course, but uh, but anyway, yeah. Uh, so we got to wait a second because there's a slight delay before they hear the question, and then they have to consult their notes, get their fingers working, and then we'll get some answers coming in here. So hopefully, hopefully that's not too hard. Make sure we've still got everybody around. I didn't lose my connection or something here. Uh, no, the first answer that came in, Lee, was uh, dry fly and golden something. <laughs> so that's not going to work. Um, uh, okay, this one, the answer was nymphing and gray wolfish something. Uh, no, 
that's not it, is it, Lee? No. Got I, part of it right, right? Part of it right. Well, the first one, he, he golden. What did he say? Golden what? Uh, he said, uh, I don't know. I deleted it. Already. <laughs> uh, okay, this one's closer. Yeah. Okay. Well, he gets, I think he got the. He, he said wade fishing and Delaware River fox. Again, not quite. The answer we're looking for. Well, of right. Delaware Fox, it is, and uh, weight fishing is what I do. You, you like that? Well, I was going for nymphing, but if you'll accept Oh, the nymphing is we'll... good, too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you kind of gave it to this guy, so uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll give it to him for weight fishing and Delaware River Fox. So, uh, so that was a secret fly, Delaware River Fox, and, and uh, Lee likes both weight fishing and nymphing. So... Uh, Dave, near, near Nikki, near Nikki in Rockaway, New Jersey, you are the winner of Dave's, I mean, of Lee's book, and um, uh, if you will, Dave, put in your address and uh, put that in the same box that you just answered the question in, then I'll get it. I've got your name, I've got your email address, but I need a shipping address for Stackpole to, to send you that book. And uh, since you're so close, uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this, and uh, be able to uh, use some of the information in there and enjoy the river a lot more than, than maybe you have in the past, uh, knowing the history about it. So congrats, and uh, thanks for listening, and uh, thanks for playing. So, um, okay, so we've got that done. And uh, Lee, just wanted to thank you uh, for spending your late night out there on the East Coast to uh, share our, your knowledge with us and uh, share a little bit about your book. We just barely touched on it, but uh, it's a lot of, a lot of good stories in there and uh, a very good read. So encourage everybody well, thank to get you it. For having Thanks me. so much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. I did. Thank you. Okay. Hopefully okay. you've all found the archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link on, um, uh, on our homepage at the top there. It says Podcast Archive. And there you'll find all our past shows. I've done over 300 shows since 2006. Uh, you can search by keyword or keyword phrase like Trout, Tarpon, Madison River, Delaware River, uh, and you'll find all kinds of uh, podcasts uh, uh, that you can learn from. So that's another suggestion for, I, I forgot who asked the question. I think it was uh, oh, Alan J. in Cold Springs. You want to learn about fishing? Listen to Ask About Fly Fishing. In <laughs> radio, you'll learn a lot. Our next broadcast will be on July 15th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and on that show I'll be interviewing Kristen Mustad, and the topic of our show will be Nautilus Reels, Striving for Excellence. Kristen is the owner of Nautilus Reels, and he has brought his company to the forefront of fly fishing industry. His innovations drive the market and stand out above the crowd. Listen in to hear how he built his company, designs, and tests his reels, and consistently strives for excellence. We'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Douglas Outdoors, uh, Baja Fly Fishing, and Watermaster for sponsoring our show tonight. And don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.